Of the 25,000, 3,500 was left by the time the guy pretty much stole your money. How did you process through that? What was your mindset? Did you go out and look for a job or did you say, yeah. fuck it, I'm starting over again? Oh, <clears throat> well, first of all, I was left with nothing. Hey friends, welcome to The Empire Show. My name is Bedros Koulian and this is an inside look. And today I've got a very special guest. His name is Mr. Manny Koshpin and he is a real estate entrepreneur. He is a collector of a very unique type of art. And like me, he is the American dream and the immigrant edge. Manny, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Thank you for being here. So. First of all, let's address the immigrant edge and the American dream. I mean, you've accomplished a lot of success here in, this, in the United States, and uh, you're not from here, though. No. Where did you immigrate from? So I came from Iran yeah. at age 14. I was a skinny little boy, you know, that escaped, uh, you know, that regime going to the war and all that stuff. Yeah. And my dad and my mom and three siblings, you know, they decided to leave Iran two weeks before my 14th birthday. Because at age 14, you you know they basically make you um, go to the army, and you can't really leave the country. Yeah. And so my dad, having seven brothers, three of them being crippled, going to the war. Wow. He decided two weeks before my 14th birthday that he's gonna just you know bolt and leave everything. So it was a sudden journey uh, that my dad decided to take, and uh, it's been a long journey. You know, yeah. I'm I'm 48 now, so. Uh, it's been, you know, ch a lot of challenges throughout the years. How was that move? I'm curious because when yeah. people, see, for me, it's not a big deal because that was part of our escape. We escaped communism. Yeah. But people love to hear like, wait, you escaped a country that had a regime or had communism or had dictatorship. And so I'm curious when you guys made the escape, did you go right to the United States or did you go to a neighboring country and then? Yeah, yeah we went to Turkey yeah. and my dad was able to get a visa. So we were there, I think two weeks or three weeks. Yeah. And then he obtained a visa and we came straight to Orange County gotcha. from LAX. And he was uh, educated in the U.S. in the 70s. He, will, he worked for oil company as a senior cost accountant. So he was sent to America to be trained and educated for the oil company. So he spoke English, uh, you know, rest of us, none of us sp spoke a word of English. So it was very difficult to come here and not be able to communicate. Right, so late, it was, right? Yeah, it was very difficult early on because we only had $2,000, you know, uh, cash when we arrived to USA. My dad was uh, promised a job by his friend that owned the gas station. And two nights at their house, we were forced to leave. The husband and wife got in a fight. Oh, wow. I guess, yeah, he hadn't, you know, communicated to his wife, hey, there's six people yeah. moving in. <laughs> yeah, bring, I'm bringing six <laughs> family members in. Yeah, so we were forced to wow. move out to a motel. And then after a couple of weeks, my dad, you know, figured, hey, we're going to run out of money staying at the motel. So I called his buddy back. He goes, this is not right. You know, you, you hung me dry here, you know, with, you know, a six-month-old baby. You know, my sister was six-month-old. Right, okay. And uh, so he says, hey, why don't you come, you know, I have a couple of cars on my lot. I'm selling, so we end up buying a 1972 Datsun station wagon, and that became our home for a couple of weeks, until my dad was able to get a job. Uh, after a few weeks, raise enough money for his security deposit for a one-bedroom uh, apartment, 
And so that first two months, I would say, is like very tra uh, traumatic yeah. for me. Now, as a 14-year-old, I'm guessing you had friends, you had a routine, like you were at school, yes. right? And so now all of a sudden you're in a new country where you're the stranger, you don't speak English, you don't understand yeah. the culture, you don't know how to assimilate. Was it a big shock for you? Because your six-month-old well, sister, it's no big deal for her. Yeah, of course right. it was a big shock plus you know, I was basically carrying all the guilt because everyone's suffering because of me, right? Right. If You're the reason they left. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that really was like built my personality. I had to grow to be a man, you know, in rather quickly mm. and then try to, you know, reach that financial independence to get my parents, you know, from that financial suffering. Sure. So that became my motivation, I think my drive, you know, early on. And, you know, I had to do what I had to do. I couldn't speak English, but I was trying to help out my dad, you know, make money. Yeah. So uh, my first job was dumpster diving. You know? Okay, all right. We've got a lot in common, <laughs> yeah. don't we? Yeah, all right. So, you know, every time I took the trash out, I saw people left stuff outside the dumpster, and I couldn't understand why. Hey, there's a toaster, you know, a dining set, a chair. Mm -hmm. I'm like, hey, that stuff is still good. You know, it's not broken. So I would haul them back to my patio of the apartment. And then after you know a few months, we had a whole bunch of stuff stacked up in the patio. And um, across from our apartment, there was Orange Coast College, which had swap meets on the weekends. Yeah. And my, me and my mom used to walk over there and buy, use the stuff you know, for the apartment. So we decided, hey, you know, why don't we get a couple of spaces and sell the stuff we've been piling up in the patio? You yeah. know? So that was my first job, you know, selling used gotcha. stuff at the swap meet. Yeah, I mean, that is straight up entrepreneurship, yeah. one on yeah. one. You know, yeah. you know, it's like uh, desperation. You know, it cost you nothing, yep. and now you're going to make something out of it. Exactly. Right. It cost yeah. you time, but I mean, yeah. you had all the time in the world when we we're kids. Right? Exactly, and also it taught me to negotiate. You know. Um, I price everything a little bit higher, and then people always bargain, you know, yeah. at the swap meet. For two years, I did that, and then I was having three hours of ESL um, classes in high school. Um, you can't tell, he didn't do much. <laughs> I've heard, I don't know if this is true, but I've heard that if you, if you come to a country before the age of nine, you lose your accent. If you come after the age of nine, you have an accent. My brother's 14 years older than me. He's got uh, a very heavy Armenian really? accent. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That makes me yeah, feel yeah. better. Oh, yeah. You're, 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 <laughs> fine. yeah, you're fine. Trust me. So at 16, I was legally um, able to work, and I applied for a job at Kmart, and I was click 407. I was a you know clerk to clean the bathrooms, a stock room, mop the floors, collect all the shopping carts in the ba uh, parking lot, and I did that for about a year. I got promoted to a sporting goods assistant, a sporting goods manager. But all along my dream, my vision was, you know, to become a multimillionaire, sure. you know? And now, so were you communicating this to your mom and dad? Like, hey guys, I'm gonna become a multimillionaire. I'm gonna show you that, you know, we can do this. Like, were you communicating um, or were They you knew from my efforts, you know, okay. that I, I was striving to like better myself financially. Yeah. So, I mean, they could tell, I mean, I, I was like always like a sponge, always looking for better opportunity if I saw one guy selling um, used cars and making money, I would start getting the auto trader, look for used yeah. cars, you know. Yeah. So I had done so many different trades from being a mechanic, going to people's home to change their oil on their yeah. car, brake pads, anything. Every time I ran into somebody that was making more money than me, I copied them. Yeah. You, know? yeah. you model success. One of the biggest key factors you're going to hear over and over again from all of our guests on The Empire Show is that success leaves clues. And if you can model success, you can time collapse 
and get faster results in a shorter amount of time with least amount of stress, anxiety, and overwhelm. And so that's exactly, you saw someone, hey, this guy's got yes. selling used cars. He's maybe improving it a little bit and selling it, flipping it. I think I can figure that out. Exactly. Model success, I love that. Now at what point, because I imagine your dad being US educated. Yes. And he worked for the oil and gas industry, you said? Yes, oil company. Oil company. So I mean, he had a job, he had a career. Correct, yeah. He might have been pushing you towards that direction. How do you even, I'm guessing, I don't know, was he? Yeah, well, most Middle Eastern parents, they want you to become a doctor. Doctor, lawyer. lawyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, oh, I know that. To, to make them happy, I did do two weeks of college. Okay. <laughs> and then I dropped out. That didn't you know? work out, huh? Yeah, I wore a suit with a brief, I wore a brand new briefcase. No shit. Pencils, pens, calculator, everything. I sat there and everyone's farting around. I'm like, what is this? I thought yeah. everyone was here to like get educated, make lots of money. So I realized, okay, the, the whole schooling system that I had in my mind is yeah. really not what it is, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I went back to the basics, you know, which is being an entrepreneur. Yeah. And I got into, um, I've done a lot of other things in, the, in between. I had my own business when I was 18. Right out of Kmart, I was always getting the Sunday paper looking for help wanted section, business opportunities, even when I was in Kmart. And I found this company that's selling multi-level marketing, door-to-door -door sales. Uh, WWI, so I called them, he said earn 500. At the time I was earning $3.15 an hour, a little over 100 bucks a week. So I'm like, wow, that's five times more than I'm making. So I quit Kmart, I went and worked for that company, and within four to five months I was one of their top salespeople, nope. selling nuts. And, and you had you, no sales experience previous to that, other than the swap meet. Swap meet, right? yes, yeah. Okay. And so I did that, and then one night, um, me and my dad are shopping at uh, Price Club. Back then it was in Costco, it was Price Club. And I did a quick math on the nuts uh, and cashews and trail mix. And I'm like, wait, they're selling these for $3 a pound. This company is selling it to me for double. So I told my dad, I said, why don't I already have my customers. I have all my roots that I sell. Why don't I just buy the nuts from uh, Price Club and bag them and sell them myself? So I opened the yellow pages, looked for polyester bags where I can buy sealant. So I found a place in Santa Ana. I went there the next day with my dad. I bought some polyester bags and bought the, went to the Price Club, bought a pallet of nuts. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so that was my first business. I was 18. I was still in last year of high school. And that turned out to be a, you know, a great experience for me. Huh. <clears throat> I was making four or 5,000 a month. I used to go to pay phones, you know, put those tear-off sheets, you know, earn yeah. 500 bucks a week. I did the same ad I signed newspaper, I put it on the phones. Yeah. You know? So now you're <laughs> recruiting people. I'm modeling again, yeah. 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 So I did that, I had four employees. Six months, I had like $25,000 saved. What, um, what stopped that business was I, that the customer one day I sold nuts to at a restaurant while I was waiting for my hamburger, turned out to be a health inspector. Oh, Orange shoot. County Health Department. Yeah. So the next morning, 7 a.m., he's at my door. You know, he goes, hey, I went back to my office. Um, I didn't find you on file. I'm like, what file? He's like, you have to have a health permit. I was like, I'm not a criminal. What file? I like, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, for what? He goes, every time you repackage food for resale, you got to have a um, permit. Your establishment has to be inspected, blah, blah, blah. He gave me a big binder. So I went home. Me and my dad went through it. And I'm like, forget it. This, you know, this office right. we're renting out. There's no way it's going to meet these criteria. So I was forced to close it down. And so with the money I had saved, my dad's friend said, hey, why don't you guys buy a gas station? I can get you an SBA loan, 90% financing, and you have enough money. I'm like, okay. 
So I was 19 at that time. Yeah. And funny thing is, five years prior to that, my dad was supposed to work and pump at gas a at a gas station. station. Now I'm going to own a gas station. You know, yeah. in five years, I was like, whoa. I, I, so I, did you end up buying the gas station? Well, long story short, we went open escrow on a gas station, mobile gas station off of Crenshaw 405, 90 day escrow. But the person that um, was doing my loan happened to be Persian guy too. Turned out to be a con artist. Oh shit. Yeah, so I lost all my money. He told me to go to Palace Verdes Bank, uh, open a pa passport savings, yeah. put my 25,000 in there. And then from there, he was sending invoices. I had to go draw and give him for processing this, that. So the only money didn't go to waste was 3,500 bucks I paid to Mobile Corporation. I had to go to Rancho Cucamonga and two weeks uh, get educated how to measure the tanks, run the snack shop, all the policy procedures yeah. they had. So I got my plaque. You know? <laughs> but you never but, opened up a gas station? No, but no. I lost all my moment. money yeah. and the uh, seller didn't extend escrow, so I was back to a square one. Yeah. So that was my first like defeat. Like I got like, you know. You've always been curious. And the best entrepreneurs I know have been curious. Elon Musk, yeah. you know, Toyota's making electric cars, Chevy's making electric cars, but he believes that the electric car could be done better. He's curious, or he's curious about how we can bore a tunnel underneath California to get to San Francisco without traffic, or yeah. why does NASA use old rocket ships when we can have a glass cockpit these days? And curiosity for me is what helped me build my franchise, because I kept wondering, why are we doing boot camps outdoors? How does the rest of the country do it when they have rain and snow and all this stuff? It's not sure. all California, yeah. right? So curiosity made me say, can I bring it indoors and now scale it? And curiosity took you from, all right, this guy's selling nuts for twice the amount that I'm seeing here at Price Club yep. or Costco now. I think I could just buy a pallet worth of nuts and put them in some plastic bags. And again, more curiosity. Let me flip through, find the bags. Do you have this curiosity, like for me, it's factory installed. I'm always curious about how things work. Sure. Is curiosity factory installed for you or did someone teach you to be curious and ask questions and seek out knowledge? To be honest with you, I think a little bit of both. You know, ever since I was a little kid, my dad always told me I was always trying to like, even radio, if I see a piece of toys, yeah. I would open the toy just yeah. to see how it's put together, yeah. how many screws, if I open that screw, what is it gonna do? Yeah. So I was always curious, you know. Yeah. Like my grandpa, when I was a little kid, you know, he had a little deli and he used to save the tomato boxes uh, for me because every weekend I used to go there and take off the, uh, you know, the uh, tomato boxes and try to, you know, cut it and build a plane or do something with yeah. it. But, you know, when I came to America, I think that kind of got amplified because of desperation. I wanted to make money. Now I was even more curious. I got to like... I was curious to make money. Yeah. You know, not just to see how to open a toy, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. So so here we are now, you experienced your first defeat. <clears throat> you raised twenty five thousand dollars. You shut down your nut business because your trail mix business because the yeah. health department says, Hey, you, you're not licensed or certified to do this. Yeah. Of the twenty five thousand, thirty five hundred was left by the time the guy pretty much stole your money. So your first experience as defeat as an entrepreneur. Yeah. How did you process through that? What was your mindset? Did you go out and look for a job or did you say, yeah. fuck it, I'm starting over again? Oh, <clears throat> I, well, first of all, I was left with nothing. That 30, I didn't have $3,500. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> that 3500 I paid to Mobile Corporation. Oh, that's Corporation right, it went to, to Mobile. Get, yes. Yeah, you had zero dollars. I had zero dollars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I called uh, one of the customers I used to sell nuts to. You know, I sold nuts to a lot of dealerships, tire shops, you know, all the mechanics yeah. standing around waiting for customers. They love, you know, eating pistachios, cashews. Right. <laughs> and then, of course, the secretaries in all the 
uh, auto centers, they love jujubes, trail mix, all the candies I sure. used to sell. Yeah. So long story short, uh, I called I him. I love that he could just rattle them off. You can just rattle off the yeah. jujubes <laughs> and candies and gummy bears, yeah. So I Great. called Ruben Padilla, worked at Winston Tires, and he used to buy whole bunch of cashews from me, like 10 bags every time I went. He was one of my best customers. Yeah. And he liked me, you know, we always chatted about life every time I stopped by to sell him nuts. So I called Ruben, I said, Ruben, I got scammed, I'm back to zero, this, I was really depressed, down, um, because we had become friends, you know, over yeah. time. He goes, why don't you come over here? I, I love your personality, your energy, your, just your, you know, all the, you put in 200% at everything you, you do, and why don't you come and work with me here as an assistant manager? So he hired me on the spot. I drove to Montebello for a year, um, worked at uh, One Cent Hires with Ruben, yeah. so then saved some money again. And then again, I knew that's a stepping stone. I don't want to be working at a tire shop. Now, you know. He owned that business, right? No, he was a manager. He was a manager. Yeah, Winston Tire, Sam Winston um, owned, I think, 171 tire stores. Gotcha. And then he passed away, and then I think Tire America or some other big tire company Got bought it. Bought him out. But long story short, after that, um, I was always looking around to see who's doing good. I saw this guy driving a, a Porsche Cabriolet. I said, hey, what are you doing? Because I own a mortgage company. I'm like, really? Like what? What are you doing? So I became friends with him, and he loved my personality. He goes, why don't you come and you know, process loans for me? You seem like very sharp, and I like how you dress, and you're very high energy. I'm like, all right. So I worked for his company for four months, and um, I was processing loans faster than anybody. I, I, I put in 200%. And the auction company that used to work with this guy at his, as a primary lender for the auction company, yeah. they loved me coming to the auction sites because I was processing everybody's loan quicker, pre-calling them. Yeah. So long story short, after six months, I quit. I found a broker to open my own mortgage company because really? I wanted to make the big money. Yeah. And the auction company- Which again, modeling success. Yeah, so the auction company dropped that company and took my mortgage company as a primary lender because really? they loved how I was processing. Yeah. So 90, that was 90, uh, 93, 93 to 94, I made 290,000. And that was like, wow, that was like, I feel like Al Pacino. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I made a big. <laughs> I'm a baller now. Yeah. yeah. So uh, smoking cigars, right. I got a, you know, Mercedes, wearing Valentino suits. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and then rates went up, economy improved. So the auction company didn't really do much activity because developers didn't. But now, let me, I got to ask you a question yeah. though. Previous to, to getting into the mortgage world, you, you had no experience in it. No. I mean, no. You were in a tire shop, and previous yes. to that, you were selling nuts, nuts. Yeah. right? And previous yep. to that, you tried to open a, a gas station. How did you learn the mortgage business so quickly? Because then I see the pattern now, yes. and then you're going to go into, obviously, entrepreneurship and yeah. real estate. Again, curiosity. Uh -huh. you know? So, you know, you may get a job as a loan processor in a loan company. You may just put yourself in a box and just do what you're supposed to do. I, that wasn't me. You know, I was looking at the boss. Yeah. The guy that was negotiating with the lenders, yeah. and then how he was quoting rates to borrowers, and he, how he was getting you know uh, borrowers and business and advertising in which publications to get business. Yeah. So while I was doing loan processing, I was actually absorbing how he's running his business. Yeah. So, Effectively, curious. you were you were on the job mentorship. Yes. You were being mentored. Yes. Exactly. Learning. And anyone can yeah. if if you. If you want to be like someone, so if I want to go into, uh, let's say, real estate entrepreneurship, I might come work for you and help you and make learn. money. Yep. But in the process of yep. making you money, I'm also time collapsing and learning what to do right, what not to do wrong. Exactly. Right? Yeah, that's yep. brilliant. 
That's brilliant. And that's, uh, so for those of you, by the way, who always send me DMs or send Craig Ballantyne DMs and go, hey, I don't have money, otherwise I'd get coaching or mentorship or whatever, guess what? Go find a career in a sales organization, whether it's mortgage or nuts or, or franchise sales or whatever, and watch the badasses around you, whether it's the CEO or the top sales guy, and look how quickly you'll grow and become an entrepreneur. You'll get paid to get mentored. Exactly. Yeah, which is brilliant. I love that. So. Now we're gonna fast forward a bit into your life, but at what point do you get into commercial real estate? Like, how do you, how do you go there? Commercial real estate, interesting. So 94, when Greenspan took the rates up, you know, we had switched from auction company to a lot of refinances because rate, rates had gone down in the recession in the mid 90s. Yeah. But then rates went up uh, half a base, uh, 50 basis point in April, I think 1994. And we had like 90 files in refinances and we were floating the rates because we wanted to lock them on a shorter term. To what get does floating rebate. the rates mean? For floating means, so you take a loan app, I quote you 6% interest rate, but I don't lock it. I can float it and then wait until I'm ready to lock it to get loan docs. So instead of a 30 day lock, I do a 12 day lock or a 10 day lock. Now I get bigger rebate, bigger gotcha. commission. So I got greedy in other words, got you it. know? Got it. So rates went up and then essentially all those 80, 90 loans you know, went dead. Yeah. And then I had a partner, which was a broker at the time uh, for the, my mortgage company. And we decided, well, like, we got to close down. We got all this overhead and no money coming in. So at the time, I had $150,000 saved in 94. And then we said, what are we going to do? I was, again, looking at another opportunity. I saw 99 cents only opening up everywhere. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, why don't we do 79 cents plus, you know, 20 cents cheaper. Right. It's a teaser product. You know, people come in for 79 cents, but it's plus. You know, you sell other dollar items. Yeah. So we opened an 8,000 square feet store in uh, Santa Ana in 94, and it did great. And we opened a second one in Garden Grove. And then year two, we were making 30,000 a month each. It was like... Again, another Al, another Al Pacino moment, yeah, right? Yeah, right. Then more I suits, on, more Valentino yeah. suits. More then cigars. I went and bought a $95,000 Mercedes, you know, Good in you. 94, 500. SL back then was like a big dog oh, car, sure. you know? Yeah. Uh, I bought a house. I bought a LS400 Lexus. Um, I had three cars in my collection in 94. I was 23 years old. And then Food for Less came and opened right next to me, mm. to my first store. And right on their grand opening weekend, our sales went 50%. Uh, down and that was like whoa it's you know maybe it's just the grand opening weekend right. next weekend same thing okay. so eventually after two years a year and a half or so my partner says hey not only we're not taking out 30,000 a month but now we got to put money back in the business we're losing money so he says you know you buy me out or I'm walking out so I wrote him a check for 15 grand I bought him out I called my parents I said I got a job for you I laid off four employees um, and my parents came I you know, reduce the expenses to be able to survive. Sure. But by then, in that 18 months, I had already sold my cars, my house, and I was $185,000 in debt on my credit card. Wow, so you're liquidating at this point because yeah. Food for Less comes and parks right next to you and starts sucking out all your money. Everything. Yeah. Well, you know, in like supermarket business or discount retail business, you know, your margins are very small. Yeah. So let's say up to 100000 a month, you break even, pays your rent, employees, all the other you know expenses and then from 100 to 150 is all your profit basically yeah. you know right. so when volume drops significantly i mean it really takes you into the red did you own the building that the 79 cent store was in no did you were you leasing it at i time? was leasing it so my so at this point you still don't have a piece of real estate none yet. nothing i was negative net worth probably by 300 grand and how old were you 
Uh, this is 90 by now, it's like 97. 97. 97, okay. so I was 26 years old. Okay. And everybody told me to file bankruptcy. You know, you're just fighting you know, a, a losing battle. I said, no, in this country, you know, credit is everything. If you file bankruptcy, you're dead, you right. know. And I learned that early on because I had a mortgage company. I see everybody's credit report. If, you know, they had blemish on their credit, I couldn't get their loan approved. So I had that experience with, you know, getting loans and financing. But the easier thing to do, which is what most people do. Give up. Give up and file bankruptcy. Yep. And they go, clean slate, I get to start over. Yep. Yep, yeah. Most people, even my parents, told me to file bankruptcy. Yeah, good for you. For but I, I was working seven days a week, opening the store seven in the morning, closing at nine, and then by the time I count all the money in the cash register, drop them in my safe. It was 10 p.m. I went to 24-hour fitness, still work out after all those. Yeah. Days. Run on three minutes. I'm gonna sell it. I'm gonna sell it. I'm gonna sell yeah. it. So my whole mental mental mindset was, I'm gonna get out of here. I'm gonna sell it. And the only way to get out is to sell the supermarket. Right. Right. And um, so, by, by the way, I had converted to supermarket after two years of being a discount store. We added produce and meat, yeah. meat uh, butcher shop. So long story short, um, I said, I'm losing money anyway. Why don't I lose a little bit more money? Right. So I borrowed money from private you know, friends, a couple of private parties, and I ran full page uh, ads in La Opinion, which is a Mexican newspaper in Santa Ana. And I got the sales up 50, 60%. And then I, it looked great, even though it was barely making money, but yeah. people care about volume, you know, being busy. So I sold it to two Korean brothers for 185000 Good for you. That was 1998. And all of a sudden, you're right side up again. Not really. I, I owed 185000 on my credit cards. I owed to Rockview Farms, Pepsi, Coca-Cola. My accounts payable was like 30, 40 grand. But long story short, with the inventory they paid me and the 185000 I was able to cash out 188000 or so okay. from escrow. And, but I still owe 185,000 my credit card. I'm like, if I pay my credit cards, I'm still nothing. I'm seeing but, a theme here. You yeah. constantly end up <laughs> at zero again. You constantly end up at zero. So yeah. like this is the second time now yes. that you're defeated. So why a, not quit yeah. now? Why not just yeah. go get a job? Go be a doctor, go be a lawyer. Why do you keep going? Because once you give up, you give up. It's finished. Fuck you know, it's hell. like the race yeah. is finished. I'm not gonna finish the race, That's you know? It. That's Until it. it's on my terms. That's you know? it. It's on my terms. I give up when it's yeah. on my terms. So I took that money, I saw all my friends around me, they were at the time, you know, making money um, day trading in a stocks. Yeah. AOL, E-Trade, Brocade, CMGI, I don't know if you traded back then. So they were all trading, we were having cigars, coffee, you know, when we could, and they were all bragging about how much, hundreds of thousands of dollars money. So I got my money, I'm like, I'm gonna open an E-Trade account. I put the money in there, it was December 1998. And by September 1999, it turned to 700 grand. Yeah. Holy smokes. And I was still paying that 22% of my credit cards. By September, I said, okay, this is, you know, I don't wanna get greedy. I got my ass handed to me for two, three years. Right. So I'm taking the money out. I left 80 grand in there. I said, if I can make this into a 700 grand again, great. you know, great. But I'm going to take this money. So then I called my landlord, Mr. Dave Williams, that I was paying rent for the supermarket. He had always told me, hey, when you sell this, come see me. You know, why don't you invest in real estate? You put all this energy seven days a week, and you remind me of myself when, when I came here in the 1950s. I started with a lemonade stand, and now he owned like $700 million worth of real estate wow. in Orange County. Yeah. And he liked me, he was a much older gentleman. So I called him, and that was uh, October 1999. I said, Mr. Williams, I'm ready. <laughs> so he sent uh, his broker to my uh, office, and he showed me three um, shopping centers. I ended up buying one, 
And then with whatever I had left, I bought two other REO homes. And that's how I jump-started my commercial real estate. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I got, you know, lucky, f you know, a couple of times along the way, too. Sure. And made well, a million lucky, here, lucky, two million yeah. there, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But lucky, I was lucky. in the game. You know, I didn't give up. Yeah, yeah. You, when, you're, when you're on the field, you do get lucky. There's always that lucky goal that gets kicked in. Yeah. But when you're on the bleachers watching, yeah. luck's not going to find you. No, it won't. Yeah. <laughs> you did a great job there. Thank so, you. This gentleman mentored you in real estate. Yes. Right? Goes back to, again, the value of mentorship, coaching, success leaves clues, learning from other people who have yes. already been there and done that. And he said, hey, look, this is a broker you want to talk to. I'm, I'm guessing, you know, he showed you three really good qu uh, yes. quality properties. Yeah, he said these are properties he would buy. Perfect. So you now know. you're buying with confidence. Yep. Right? That's the value of coaching and mentorship is huge. So at that point, you decide, okay, this is it. This is my path, the real estate, commercial, and you go all in. I tried other businesses along the way, but I always found my, you know, you know, my backbone being real estate. Gotcha. Because real estate's like dirt. Put some dirt in your pocket, come back 100 years, still there. Yep. You know, but other businesses, trends change. Look at Amazon, changing yeah. the entire landscape of retail. And now we work changing the entire landscape of office, how you rent office. Yeah. So some trends change, but, you know, real estate really doesn't change that, you know, the, God's not making any more of it. Dirt is dirt. But There's dirt only so is much. Dirt. So if you buy at the right location and you buy at the right time, 99% of the time, you know, a successful real estate deal is timing. How do I know when the timing is right to buy real estate? Because you said a lot of it is timing. Yes, when it's on sale. So when I say when on, I sale, it's on sale, well, recession, okay. you know, right through the recession, you don't want to buy in the recession. is like, you know, catching a falling knife. Yeah. Because if you bought it in 2008, by 2010, 11, it bottomed out, and then we went through the recovery. So you yeah. always want to buy through the recovery. That's on the way up. Gotcha. And you see signs of it, you know, when rates are being cut, 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 try to stimulate the economy, yeah. and then unemployment's high, but then it plateaus and then it starts coming down. That's when you want to start buying. Got it. So you want to buy on the way up, and then a scale up. You know, you want to be aggressive. That's when you throw your, you know, your guts out and you just go all in, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then when it starts getting too greedy, you know, you know, people are emotional when it comes to investing. So they're often not, you know, they get greedy. They don't want to sell. They keep thinking it's going to go higher. And then when it's going down, they don't want to lose money. They want to hang on until they can't, you know, and they lose everything. So, so uh, gotta, to that point, yeah. let me ask you a question then. Uh, looking at greed for a moment, was your wealth created by buying, holding, and selling or buying, renting, and cash flow? 90% I would say buying and flipping at the right time. Gotcha. So you, ma you make your money on the buy. You know, I buy something that was worth a dollar for 50 cents. Yeah. And then it always comes back to a dollar and yeah. even higher because of inflation, everything goes up yep. throughout, you know, 30, 40 year time period. Yeah. So if you look at those blips that are 90s, year 2000, the dot-com bust, 2008 Great Recession, and then we have another one coming. Do we? Okay, of tell course. me about that. Yeah, of tell course. It's that. cyclical, you know? Yeah. It's like your heartbeat, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you just have to be patient. A lot of people don't have the patience. They want to jump in, make money, and they get, in, they get caught in that recession downdraft. And it's tough to you know, weather the storm if you're leveraged. Sure. Yeah. So why are you more attracted to commercial real estate than, let's say, housing or apartments, like multi-unit? Well, commercial gives you flexibility to be involved as an entrepreneur. So, for example, you know, you, you buy an office building like yours. Yeah. Look what you've done to it, you know, inside, remodeled it, you mold it, you get your own, you know, style touch into it, put into it. 
And a residential, if you buy something in a track housing, there's not much you can do to it. You can change the exterior, you can paint it pink. You right, know? right, so there's not you much can, you can do. There's not much you can do, and, and it's very limited because it's kind of like you buying a small little boat on the sea, and it rises with the level of the sea, but if you build something going vertical in the middle of the sea, you can go as high as you want, sure. right? So it's kind of that terminology. Now, you live in Newport Beach, beautiful home. Yeah. Thank you. You know, you, and let's talk about your unique art collection that you have. Yeah that has really been funded by being a real estate entrepreneur. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, and we saw the hints of it, you know, the gas station, the used car, then you make some money, you buy the Mercedes, and then the Lexus. But today, you've got a very unique stable of cars, some of them one-off. Yes. How do you even decide that I'm going to buy this many cars, and they're going to be unique art forms, and I'm going to do all, like, how do you get into that? Well, I mean, I had a love for cars, obviously, from my early 90s when I bought the 500 sure. SL. And, but I always told myself I want to buy cars when I can use the cash from my cash flow and buy them, not spend from my capital or principal, right? Yeah. So once I start, you know, I got my dream home, I got married, I got two kids, and now I have excess cash. And it's not time to buy real estate. You know, for the past two years, it's been topping right. out. So I said, okay, why don't I have all this, you know, why don't I buy what I enjoy, my yeah. passion. So I've been a strategic with uh, buying cars, gotcha. super rare cars. You know, I mean, super rare is an understatement. We're yeah. talking <laughs> some are very uniquely made just for you, one-off yes. made for you. Yeah. That doesn't get any more super rare than that. Yeah, it's kind of like a project. It's kind of like you know, um, building your commercial real estate yeah. building from ground up. Yeah. Because you get to choose the fabric, the paint, you know, the different design of the seats. Did you ever think like you a, would be at this point where you're doing this and you're hanging out with the CEO of a, of a McLaren? And yeah. Did you ever no. think, like, that's where I'm going to be? No. No, that I never imagined in my wildest dreams that I'm going to be, you know, meeting with director of Hermes in Paris, designing a one-off Bugatti. <laughs> yeah. So it's been, it's, it's a blessing. But I'm using that um, as kind of an investment and passion mm -hmm. also, because I'm a strategic with what I buy. I mean, I don't go out and buy a Ferrari GTO for $38 million, because very likely that's going to tank when the economy turns around. Sure. You know? sure. But I'm buying things that I, I know I can you know profit from if I need the money. So even then, yeah. even, even now, even though you have a passion and a love for cars, you have enough discipline to say, I'm not going to buy the Ferrari GTO, because oh, yeah. when the economy tanks, not if, when, yeah. That, that car is going to be on wholesale. Exactly. Whereas yeah. these unique one-offs are likely going to get bought up if you want to sell them sure. to moguls that own whatever, half exactly. of China or whatever. Yeah, you know, right? I, I like to think of the cars I'm investing in as like Rolex on your wrist, you yeah. know? If you need money, you go to a pawn shop and you can cash sure. in on it because a Rolex, very, you know, a rare Rolex, I yeah. want to call it, you know? But uh, yeah, I've said no to many manufacturers. They offer me cars, but I didn't think they were going to be as unique, or I could make them unique. Gotcha. But manufacturers that are you know, open-minded for me to come in with another designer to design it and change their design, which Pagani was one, Bugatti was another one mm -hmm. that we're doing one-off with. Um, those, you know, I think they're gonna uh, fetch a good premium, you know, even in a down market. Right. Because it's the right. only one in the world. Exactly, and there's always that guy or gal who can get that. Exactly. So. You, you, you dropped a really good nugget. I want our audience to pick up, so I'm gonna have you come back to this for a moment. You said, the economy is good right now, mm -hmm. and so my cash flow that's coming in, I'm not buying buildings, 
but I've got the cash flow, so I'm buying these one-off exotic cars or hypercars that I can flip later if I want. But more than that, you said, I'm not buying stuff with my principal. In other words, you're not putting yourself into debt like most Americans are. Yeah, or selling my buildings to buy a car. Or selling your buildings, to, right? To, yeah. Exactly. What you're doing is you're taking the surplus of cash that you have that came from the value of the buildings. Yes. And saying it's too expensive to buy buildings now. The economy's thriving. Investing it into rare cars. Investing into rare cars. And guys, don't let this fall on deaf ears because most of you are right now living in debt and going into debt just so you can keep up with the neighbors, whether it's a, you're renting a, a Lamborghini or you're, 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 you're living out of a place that you can't even afford and you're outspending what you're making. And what's gonna happen is when the economy crashes, yep. they're not gonna have the cash to invest in real estate and take exactly. advantage of that time. Exactly, right? yeah. What is your, your best piece of advice for, for someone in their late 20s, 30s, who wants to get into real estate? What should they do right now if they've got 10 or $20,000, mm -hmm. but they want to get into real estate in the future? What do they do? I would say it's a long journey. Don't look at it as like a buy one property and you're done. Yeah. Uh, get your license, real estate license, get involved with the real estate community, investors, lenders, go to open houses, network with other brokers, watch the market, study the market, and get qualified, make sure you're ready to pull the trigger when the time comes. When the time does come, you can really locate, you know, you know find those uh, diamond in the rough, yeah. you know, yeah, if yeah. you want to call it. And uh, by then you have your networks. If you run out of cash, you can always uh, do profit sharing with other investors. Sure. Because by then you're a professional agent, you can, you know, you build your network, your credibility. And as long as you provide value and, um, and, and you know what you're doing, you know, there's always investors that want to co-invest with you, exactly. even if you don't have money. Exactly. Which really happened even when you were younger. So right now you've got money, you've got buildings, you've got credibility in the real estate world, and so they want to co-invest with you. Mm -hmm. But when you were working for the mortgage company, yeah. you didn't have necessarily the money, but you had the hustle and the enthusiasm. Yes. And that is the constant reoccurring theme of this show, is you had the hustle and enthusiasm, and then that car auction place goes, hey, we're going to drop them, we're going to work with you, because you're processing yeah. loans a lot quicker. Yeah. Right? Yeah, because I was producing much yeah. faster. Yeah. So even then, people were willing to work with you because you've got the hustle, you've got the work ethic, yeah. you've got the enthusiasm. Yeah. And, and today, of course, you've got the street credibility yeah. and the money to back that it up. It all comes down to execution. Yeah. If you're executing and you're you know, persistent and consistent and you prove yourself, you know, everybody wants to work with you because you're producing. Sure. You know. So let me ask you another question. This is going back to your art collection of cars. Uh -huh. Is there going to be any uh, signature series? Oh, yeah, I have uh, a three-seater McLaren. I just came from the factory at Mac McLaren in Woking. Um, I designed, you know, expected out. And then they have a, a car that they haven't announced yet that okay. they show me as a secret project. So it's going to be topless. Uh, very cool, very cool. I can't tell much about it, but they're going to make 399 of them. Yeah. So I'm going to see if I can do a one-off on that car. But the three-seater is going to be pretty cool. They're going to make my own orange paint and name it after me. So it's a big chrome orange paint. Yeah. It's a three-seater where you, the driver sits in the center. I saw that and video. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw that video. So that's going to be the coolest car because it's just a unique experience sitting in the middle of the road you yeah. know, as you drive yeah. 250 miles an hour. You know, I just learned the other day why cars have headlights on either side. Because uh -huh. back in the day when we had horses and carriages, ah. the horse was in the middle, so they hung the lamps on either side of the horse. 
Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. So, <laughs> so when Henry Ford started making yeah. cars, you know, he just went with, okay, well, the lights go on the sides. Even though there's no more horses, you could put a light bar if you want now, right? Yeah, yeah. But now it's become a thing. Where Interesting. Like, yeah, I yeah. didn't so, know that. So I thought that was pretty I'll learn something new. There you go. I, if, if I can teach the car guy <laughs> something, right? There you go. Um, so, so, Manny, I'm curious, what question should I have asked you to extract your entrepreneurial knowledge for our audience that I haven't asked yet? Is there a question that I left out? What's your purpose? <laughs> what is your purpose? Yeah, you know, you I've learned, this? yeah, I've learned, you know, um, first it was the money, you know, to become financially independent. But now that I got my big home and I got my cars, my passion, bunch of buildings, now I'm realized, okay, I feel a little empty, you know, what's next? You know, you're always yeah. like an addict, you know, you're always chasing, sure. right? So now, I've, that's why I started my mentorship class. So gotcha. I'm trying to pass on my knowledge to all the young kids and even adults that want to get into real estate. Because yeah. I think real estate is really the you know, basis of all wealth and it's not going to be obsolete. It's not going to go anywhere. If you learn the real estate investment game, you can become wealthy. In, you know, anybody can become a multimillionaire if you give it 20 years. Amen. You know, not one year, two years, but 20 years, yeah. you can be worth 20, 30 million bucks. I can almost guarantee it if you commit yourself yeah. and be disciplined. One of my favorite quotes is that People overestimate what they can achieve in one year, and they underestimate what, what they, they can, can achieve, achieve in a decade, right? Very true. And it's that yeah. time under tension is yep. what you're saying. And to that point, by the way, I see that you work out, you're jacked every now and again. I see yeah. That, yeah. yeah. So, so even during the hardest <laughs> yes. times, man, when you were close, opening the business, closing the business, counting the money, putting it, and at 10 o'clock, you'd, you'd go to the gym and work 100%. out. 100%. How valuable, how important uh, is, is fitness in your life? Oh, I don't think I would have been here without my fitness. Really? Why is yeah. that? Yeah. Well, it built it built my mindset, you know, not to give up. You know, to me, working out is not just to build your muscles; it's more for my mental game yeah. and focus. And you know, even now, I don't need to work out really, but it's a habit I've been, you know, accustomed to for past 28 years, sure. 30 years, yeah. and I love it. You know, I work out, I come out, I still feel mentally I'm sharp and I'm focused. And I do a lot of my brainstorming, you know, when I'm sitting in sauna after working out. Yeah. I plan my day. I always have a list of things to do, my laundry list, but I always modify it in sauna. <laughs> Good for you. You know, so working out has been great. You know, I think through the hard times, it made me, it kept me going. And through the good times, which is now, uh, keeps me happy. Keeps you know, happy. Yeah. yeah. You know, focus, happy and you know, it, it's, I it's love a great well, thing. Thank and, you. and nobody knows that better than you. Right. Yeah. You own yeah. 800 gyms? Yeah, 800 locations. Yeah, yeah. yeah we're yeah. very, very yeah. lucky. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah. How do our audience find you? What's the best way to find you? So my website's mannykoshpin.com, my name. Yep. And I'm revamping my mentorship classes online. Uh, it's a subscription model. Um, I'm building the cur curriculum right now. And uh, so... Uh, just mannykoshpin.com. Easy enough. Yeah. Well, Manny, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. Way. My appreciate pleasure. you. And folks, thank you so much for watching and listening to this episode of The Empire Show, An Inside Look. As always, make sure to give us a five-star review, to take a screenshot, share it on social media, and don't forget to tell your mama. See you later. Hey, thanks so much for being here for today's Empire Podcast Show. We would love for you to do a quick little favor for us. Just go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, leave a comment, share it with your friends, and if you're interested in growing your business faster, go to bedroscoolian.com forward slash empire, fill out the application to see if you're a good fit for our Empire Mastermind Group.